how to know if you've got a bad name is when your accountant tells you you're not making enough money. It's the most strategic decision you're going to make because it sends a message to your audience right away. And it's either going to break out or blend in. So a name, when you've got the right name, it will do the heavy lifting for you every single day. It will take you where you want to go. Welcome to Top of Mind. A show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. My guest today is The Name Whisperer, a recovering comic with a master's in education and training in Harvard thinking routines. This former master's figure skating champ is a beloved speaker. She engages audiences from the Arctic to Auckland with practical wisdom they can use right away. She is honored to be one of Seth Godin's coaches in the marketing seminar and bootstrapping workshop. She's also the author of the award-winning book, Word Glue, Find Your Million Dollar Brand Name. Join me today from the other side of the world, Louise Karch. Thank you very much for joining me, Louise. Hey, you're very welcome from uh, Melbourne, Australia. G'day. <laughs> G'day, but not always uh, Australian by birth. You're a Canadian a uh, long time ago, but enjoying the sun, I'm sure. I love both countries. And I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited to be helping your people out. So when it comes to naming, it's arguably one of the most important parts it's the it's your first impression it's the foot you lead with whenever someone hears your company or your brand name or your community or whatever you ha- have assigned a name to and yet it's something that is is always the last the last thing to be chosen why why do you think that is well let me contextualize my answer by talking about Al Reese and Jack Trout, and they wrote a book quite a while ago called Positioning the Battle of Your Mind. And what they said was, a good name is like insurance for your success. So your name matters so much because it's actually, the, other than your business model, it's the most strategic decision you're going to make because it sends a message to your audience right away. And it's either going to break out or blend in. And we're now in the attention economy. Like Coca-Cola has a $2 billion marketing budget. You can't outspend Coca-Cola. You know, there's um, 543,000 businesses started every month in the U.S. I mean, half of those don't last, but there is so much noise. The right name will get you noticed. But why, does it, why is it always the last thing people choose? Why isn't it the first thing they choose? If it's, so, if, if it's been written about and it's documented and we all understand the logic behind it, but no time gets put towards it. Well, we name things all the time. We name our dogs and our cats and our goldfish and maybe our motorcycle or our car or our kayak. We name things and we think, ah, this is easy. I can name that. And you don't realize that now because you need to get a URL, you need to get a trademark for the country that you're going to be um, serving that it's gotten way more complicated. So people think that they can do it because it feels like it should be easy. But when I named a multinational tech company, I probably generated 1,200 to 2,000 names before I found the right name, right? Because we had to be trademarked in four four or five countries. So um, 
people think it'll be easy. And then what happens is they're doing this great work and they're so excited about the work and they probably are using some name just to call it, you know, maybe they're calling it koala ears as they're, um, you know, getting the project ready. And then they go to name and they're like, oh my gosh, we can't get a name. Our lawyer says we can't get that trademark or we can't find a URL that's not being, or a name that's not being squatted on and Facebook and Instagram and like, help. Ah. So yeah, that's what happened. And that's yeah, why they I never, call me. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that point too, where you have a placeholder name and you said, oh, we'll think of another one. We'll, we'll come up with another one later. But then you become so attached to it that it then becomes the fill-in name. And you're like, oh, we've gone this far. I think we should just keep it, even though you know it's not the right name. Yeah. And you know, that feeling, Stuart, you're absolutely right. People can know in their gut that it's not quite right, but they might not have a methodology for either themselves or their team to generate enough names because it really is a volume game to get the right name and, or they, they have the right name but the team doesn't know that that's the name they should pick it because they use the wrong dynamic to choose a name they use the dynamic of i like it or i don't like it mm -hmm. and that's the wrong dynamic i can talk about the brain science there if you'd like but i'll, yeah, I'll get go it, anywhere no, you want me to go get right into it let's let's keep on that train of thought okay so ken segal is the guy who named the imac and he uh was with i think it was chiat day uh when steve jobs was in the early days so he named the imac right he named the imac he came up with a whole bunch of names and he presented them to steve and he was like i don't like it it was such a brilliant name right it's a brilliant name because it's short, it's, it's disruptive. Like what IMAC, what does that mean? Fabulous name. Now it took three weeks for jobs to go, yeah, I like it. But if you use the like, don't like decision matrix, you're actually going against what the brain does. So I'm gonna get real nerdy here for a second. Mm -hmm. Can I do that? Oh yeah, we're ready. Okay, okay, we're ready for the nerd, word nerd, okay. So what we know from the brain is there's older and newer parts of the brain. And the way we've survived is we've got this part of the brain that goes tree, tree, saber tooth tiger. So the brain is always filtering things out, but it's always focusing on what matters. And what matters, what pulls focus is something different or unusual. It might be funny or it might be cheeky, but that noticing function is largely unconscious. So iMac is so like, whoa, it will pull focus. And so if you've got somebody deciding on names between like or don't like, they're actually in the figuring out part of the brain. That's two steps away from what actually happens in the brain. When you notice something, a new name, first it has to pull focus, so that's unconscious. Then we feel something. What does it make us feel? And then we figure out, okay, what was that? So iMac, because it uses the I, that is actually, it references the individual. There's something about that, that, oh, that's me. Like, and that's probably unconscious. And then we have a feeling, iMac, because Steve, if you listen to any of the recordings, talked about how much he loved his customers. That was his thing. He just always talked about love. Um, we love our customers. We're doing this for our customers. Let's not talk about what Apple's doing these days. That's another story. But um, even without understanding the science at the time, Ken Segal picked a perfect name, iMac, YouTube, Lady Gaga. It's called the one-to-many strategy. You're referencing the singular. Um, and, and Steve sort of came around to going, yeah, that name will work. And that created an ecosystem for all their kinds of naming. So um, if your audience can think about the F word, which is focus, you want a name that's going to pull focus, 
And that often means the team has to make a brave decision and the team will be tempted to make a blah decision because it feels safer, but that's the worst thing they can do. So please, everybody listening, go brave. Um, you're allowed to be cheeky or funny, like Spoon Me is a better ice cream company, um, uh, ice cream store. This is a, another naming colleague who named that, uh, Alexander Watkins, um, is way better than um, Stewart's ice cream shop because they're going to remember Spoon Me. You mentioned something there about the one-to-one against the one-to-many naming style. Is um, can you give me some examples? You use you said YouTube is a one-to-one because you're it's saying you YouTube it's your tube. Um, what would be an example of a one-to-many? Well, so it's it's yeah. So the one-to-many strategy, the ones are like YouTube, Lady Gaga, Lord of the Fries, um, anything that references a singular. Um, but it could also be like guardian insurance that references the singular, the guardian. So once you know that strategy, you'll see it all over the place. The many strategy is names that reference the many. So Google um, is a mathematical term that references many, right? It's a, it's a huge number. Um, United Nations, United Nations. Nations represents the many. Um, geek Squad. So geek references the individual, but the squad references the many. So that is a really, I spent such a long time looking at all the different kinds of naming strategies that existed. And I realized, oh, that's a strategy nobody talks about. And yet it's incredibly powerful. Is there a decision that a company should make, whether they fall into the many or into the one section? Like what is, or is that, or is that kind of a business model decision where you want to align your name with your business model? You want to, if you think about that F word focus, you want a name that's going to pull focus and then create a feeling. So it might be that referencing um, a guardian or an angel or a centurion or, you know, there might be a particular entity that they want to imbue their brand with. Like Red Bull took color, which is um, color, my world is also naming strategy, but they also took an animal, right? Uh, And when they did that, they're imbuing that brand with all sorts of feeling. You see Red Bull and you get a feeling. Mm-hmm. So they're name storming from a kind of a, you can mind map this or create a um, scrapbook board or whatever your method is. You get a sense of what you want the name to convey. One company that comes to mind that I, for me has always generated a feeling in my head, even though I've never been to this company because they're not in Canada, is Blue Bottle. And they're a coffee company, I think. And so yeah. it's just such a nice sounding name. And so now that you've mentioned, you've kind of pulled apart the pieces to it. Blue is a pleasing and calming color. And then bottle just has a nice round sound to it. And you kind of think about drinks or beverages, but it's not coffee necessarily. It's more of like a thirst quenching. So it's like a very calming, thirst quenching establishment. Um, and then there's also the BB, like double the, the, the sounds that come with that too. You might be a natural name whisperer. Yes. <laughs> so that strategy is what I call the doodle strategy. So doodle, so the one-to-many uh, strategy is a designate. You can designate something through your name. The doodle strategy is when you're playing with the letters like Ikea or you're playing with the sound alliteration like Coca-Cola. So blue bottle works because as we're as kids, when we learn to read, there's a lot of rhyming, there's a lot of repetition of sound. So the brain likes that. 
And if you think of Blackberry, poor Blackberry, but you know, they chose Blackberry because the rhythm, the sound, the feeling that that made in the mouth um, made people feel more comfortable, confident. One of the things that your listeners can do as they're naming is look at the names that exist in their category already. So if they had, if your friends had called, or not your friends yet, you haven't gone to Blue Bottle, but I hope one day you will. If they had called their store, um, their shop, cafe, coffee chat, well, that's like same, same, which the brain won't notice that. It won't pull focus. But when you call yourself something like Blue Bottle in their sector, that pops out just like Apple popped out of all these tech names, HP and IBM. So Virgin popped out of the airline because Virgin, again, that's a designate category, designates a Virgin, the one singular entity. But that's so unexpected for an airline. It just broke out. Is the unexpectedness a a must or is that a choice that to have a very shocking, I, I, I guess shocking is a different word than, than uh, noticeable. You don't want to offend people, but you do want people to either say I'm in or I'm out. And that's in, in a certain case. I think if you're listeners, whoever is listening to this as they're thinking about maybe their side hustle or community service project, you are in the attention economy. And when you realize you're in the attention economy and how precious that is, that will help you choose a name that's going to break out. Like you really do need to go, hmm, is somebody going to notice this name? Now, there's a Canadian company that I helped named in January, and they are a app for youth, uh, sort of 17 to mid-20s who are trying to make some career decisions. And they were about to call it, this is Rebecca Kirsten, they're about to call it uh, Becumble because it's, it's, it's you, as you, you stumble um, to find your way and that's, you know, that's all right. But Becumble, like you say it, Stuart, what happens to your mouth when you say the word Becumble? Becumble. So what do you feel when you say that? The K is pretty sharp. Yeah. Um, and it kind of ends in a mumble. It's not really yeah. a, it's not really a pleasing ending to it. Perfect. So I was they were getting really excited about that. And I was like, mm, that's not gonna take you where you want to go. So a name, when you've got the right name, it will do the heavy lifting for you every single day. It will take you where you want to go. They actually named it named it Inkly, I-N-Q-L-I. They could get the .com. They could get all the social media platforms they wanted. And Inkly. So say Inkly. What happens? What do you feel when you say that word? Inkly. Inkly. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It ends on, a, on an upswing. It does. So it, it has a bounce. The, the mouth opens. Um, it's just a happy sound. Like inquiry, inquisitive. Like it's just got this, ooh, what's this about? Feel to it. It was a perfect name for them. It's going to take them where they want to go. So as your colleagues, friends, your listeners are naming their brand, you can make up a name. That's another one of the categories that's design. So Rolex is made up, haagen is made up, Inkly is made up. You can mess around with your letters. And as long as it feels right, um, you got something. Can you speak a little bit about sound hierarchy? We, we kind of covered it a little bit, but if you could describe to what that means and how it plays into everyday words. How, so the sound hierarchy, this is across cultures. It turns out that we associate sounds with certain traits. And uh, there's these folks, um, I always get the name wrong, so I'm actually going to look at it. I think it was Eric Youngston. 
York Sensori, uh, and Menon, and then we're going to get really nerdy here. In the Journal of Consumer Research, they were looking at the phonetic effects of brand names. And so if you say a word like, well, I'll just say them. If you say beat, bit, bet, bat, bait, bat, boat, bot, posh, butt, put, and boot, that's a sound hierarchy. So don't worry about the words mean, but boot, if you say boot, so say boot. Boot. So what happens to your mouth when you say boot? It, it gets round, boot. Yep, it's got kind of an yeah. ooh. Yeah, so it opens the mouth. Now, it turns out we associate that, which is at, um, at the end of the sound hierarchy, that boot, that oot sound, with volume, with largeness. So Google, because of the sound it makes, actually sounds like it's big. But if you were to name um, a Google bait or bit, it doesn't feel big. So sound, if you were, let's say you were naming um, um, a lingerie store, you, you would call it La Room because it feels small. But if you were naming a, um, a place to have a rave, you would call it Boom Room because it feels big. So sound, the sound it makes matters so much. That's um, helpful to ask yourself. What do you want people to feel as they say this word, especially if you're making up a word? Mm. Is is size one of the only uh, feelings that can be manipulated with sound, or are there other attachments? Well, language is so delicious. So if you say snap, well, that sounds like what it is. So mm. language is so yummy. If you say shine, well, that's got an openness to it. It feels like it's actually shining just because the shape that our mouth has to make so it's not necessarily just size that you're getting at or volume that you're getting at it's what are the traits that you want people to um associate with your brand hmm. we're getting really deep into the word nerds <laughs> i got but, one more question know, about that yeah it's um, great go for it <laughs> would a technique uh and i know in your book you cover you do have a framework that you go through to help people talk through and understand how to come up with a name that really latches on to what it is they're trying to do. But could you find words in the wild that you like that, that either are the thing that you're trying to describe and then make up a word that just sounds similar? Is that a, is that a strategy? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you can also, you said into the wild, you know, Amazon, what kind of name is that? Like you can just hear the people at the boardroom table going, what do you mean Amazon? Nobody's going to know what it means. But you know, the Amazon river is one of the largest rivers in the world. Right. And he was trying to say that he, he, and he changed his name a couple of times, but he wanted to say, he wanted to give that sense of, of, of vastness, Patagonia for a gear company, right? They wanted to give people a sense of the mystique of a foreign place. They wanted to evoke the, the mountains and the condors flying. So you can pick a word from the wild, but you can also, like Inkley, again, it's a made up word. The closest thing when they did the testing with their audience, and I highly recommend you test your name. We can talk about that, Stuart. But when they tested it with their target audience, when they saw Inkley, they didn't tell them what it was for. They just, what do you think about? What do you feel when you see this word? Two different questions. And they thought about squids and they thought about drawing. And so all these associations that came up, they're like, yeah, we can work with that. We can mm -hmm. use images that are hand-drawn. We can use ink, um, kind of Picasso style, fun, um, engaging visuals that will reinforce the brand. So yes, 
go wild. <laughs> I do want to get into testing, but I do want to uh, kind of circle back on one thing. We talked about using words that feel good and, and, and are emotional. In another interview, you said um, you want a name that gets people feeling, not thinking. And we covered that in detail. But that kind of goes against some other recommendations that people have where the, the name should tell people what it is your company does. What's your, what's your perspective on that? There's a pressure that some people feel that they have to name it to describe what they're doing. And your name over time will come to mean something. So Rolex never used to mean anything, right? It came to mean something over time because of the craftsmanship and the, the stories that were told and you know, now their marketing budget. If you come up with a bunch of names and they're available to trademark, so don't test anything that you know that can't be trademarked because you don't want to waste your time. And, and that will mean that your folks will probably at some point need to engage an intellectual property lawyer and pay anywhere from, you know, depending if you're doing this online or yourself or with others, anywhere between in what countries, it could be you know, $250 to $2,500 to get your name. Once you've got names that you can test, how you test that is you can either do it online or you can do it face-to-face. -face. You show people the list of names and you ask, which one caught your attention? And you, do a, you can do a split test. Um, depending, let's say you've got two names. Well, half the people would see the list with name number one in first position and number two in second position. But then your other people would see it in reverse order because there's this thing called the primacy recency effect where people will choose the first one they see or the last one they see just because of that's how their brain works. So if you've got a list of five names, you will muck around with the order so that the order of the names isn't affecting what they notice first. And then what some people do in the test and, and teams that have to come up with a name, I would suggest you keep a month. Uh, you hold a month so that you've got that month to come up with a name. Don't like, don't think it's going to come fast. It can. I mean, if you're, Someone like me who's done this forever, I can do it faster because I've got all these methodologies that I can use really quickly. If you've got five names, then you will reorder those names and, and test them again, either online or face-to-face. Um, -face. And you have to do that very carefully because you don't want somebody to see a name and then they go take it or they, um, they start trademarking it. So you, you have to figure out how much is this name worth to me and do I want to trademark, put a file into trademark the five because I think they're all good and then I'll choose which one I want, like depending on your budget and your time frame and how much they mean means you've got all those things to consider. Yeah. So there, there are logistics associated with it on top of testing with your audience. So yeah. be sure to allow the internal team to enjoy it, but make sure that you're engaging external people who have no vested interest in the company because they'll be the ones to tell you that those names are great or that they suck. Well, and you don't want them to tell you whether a name is great or suck because that's the judging part of the brain. You just right. want to know which one did you notice? And that's the first question. And then what did you feel when you saw that name? Right. Um, and so those, those two questions are the most important part of that is you're setting it up for a, a conversation rather than a binary yes or no. Exactly. Exactly. And this is where for folks, who've had training in psychology or sociology or any of those social science disciplines, if you take notes, you're getting qualitative data, what people say. And then the numbers in terms of who picks what will give you the quantitative data. So you can actually see, wow, I thought, like sometimes I've come up with names. I thought, oh, I think this is the one that's going to be, that's going to stick. And I'm like, wow, that's not the one that stuck. It's this one. And so that way it's not 
my own opinion, even though my opinion has often been right, but you know, I, I, I have to park my ego and just let the market tell me what's sticky. Mm, yeah, that's really important. Um, what are some common mistakes that people make early on when it comes to naming? Because we've kind of talked about the, the ways to, to prevent that, but how do you know if you have a bad name or uh, if when you're naming something that you're going down the wrong track? Well, how to know if you've got a bad name is when your accountant tells you you're not making enough money. That's number one. <laughs> nice. And, you know, it's funny, but Stuart, I'll tell you, the reason why I wrote the book on naming is because I renamed a couple of businesses and they doubled their income. Like one of my guys, um, after his new name, he increased his revenue by 130% in 18 months. Like that's crazy. And then somebody else, doubled, you know, a consulting practice doubled their income. And then another consultant. And I was like, okay, I think this really matters. Like I never would have thought it would have mattered so much. And so that's, that's um, why I say your accountant won't know to say the name is a problem. But yeah, it could be that your name's just not getting you the attention that you so richly deserve after all this hard work. The other mistake we've already covered, don't choose a name versus like uh, the like, dislike category. And look at Tesla. Tesla started out as Tesla Motors and they dropped the motors. So your name, it's really totally okay for your name to evolve over time. You know, um, Puff Diddy, uh, what is he called now? Just Diddy or like, uh, or just Puff or pre-Diddy or like, hey, whatever. So like your name can evolve over time. And, and, and you're allowed to change your name. Some people will feel like, oh, but people know us. We built equity with this name. What is it going to cost us to change it? You can change your name. I, I renamed a 102-year-old educational institution. They're doing even better with a new name. We kept part of the name, which is WIA, which is for Workers Educational Association. It's a 102-year-old organization that started in England. Well, now they're at WIA College because they can get the trademark. They can get the sites. They can get everything they needed. And now... Like people have a the sense of familiarity because part of the name was in the new name and all is good to go and it's happy days for them. So the other mistake that they make is, let me just look at my, my checklist here. I have a little checklist that I think is helpful. You want a unique name. And so unique means it's unforgettable. It stands out in your niche, right? This is Apple, not IBM or HP. It's nimble. It lets you grow. So it's Tesla, not Tesla Motors. It's, an imagine, it's imaginative. So it evokes an image or a feeling. So Red Bull, right? We, we totally get a sense of what that's about. And it's quotable. People will often, I've got a client right now, I'm trying to talk him out of a bad name. And what he's done is he's removed, I can't say what the name is, it's in process, but he's removed the vowel from the word. And people read it three different ways because he removed the vowel. Yeah. That's not going to work because it's not easy to say, spell, or storytell. Uh, you it unifies your offering so that you can sub-brand. So there's something about it that's going to let you, I renamed this guy who was a podorthist, so he made orthotics, and he was called the TDG Group. He's about to finish his PhD in lower leg extremity issues. One of the only guys in Canada to do so. And he was being beaten by competitors, like a chain, who had less expertise, less passion, uh, than he did. And so we renamed him Soul Science because he was the only one. Soul, he used science. Like it just worked. He was the one whose revenue uh, increased by 130%. So, it, uh, but he got Soul Science, Soul Science Lab, Soul Science Academy, Holiday Soul, his charity giving program. So he got 
an offering. Each part reinforces the other. And the last one is exceptional. So when you come up with your name, hopefully you've got next to zero Google matches. So Airbnb, there is nothing out there like it. So that's unique. You want to be unique. That's a good point. If you Google a name you're thinking about and there's already <laughs> a full page dedicated to one company, you're going to have a tough time trying to beat that SEO game. You got that right. Be, 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 be back away from that one. <laughs> you mentioned um, line extension and your name being able to represent kind of the, the upper, uh, the full company. And then say you create a new product or you offer services or you have spin-off um, promotions and things like that. How does that work? Well, look at iMac, right? Ken Segal was the master of that. They got that eye concept and they've eyed every, everything they can, right? Mm-hmm. I'm talking to you on my, where was it? I've got an, oh, I've got an iPad and an iMac and a button. When I'm, it's like, I'm surrounded. I'm, in a, in a, I'm surrounded by all these eyes. So how you do that is if you do the work ahead of time to really think about what is my brand for, that segment, What's the change I'm trying to make, that shift? What's the story I want people to tell? What's the sentiment I want people to feel? And you can read it, your readers, your listeners are, can, can tell that this is part of the Q12 model. When you ask all those questions, you will get elements of the brand that matters. When you do that deeply, some word or phrase is going to come to mind. And when you see that word or phrase, you'll go, ah, okay. I can see how I can use part of that word like soul with my line extensions or my other offerings so that you are creating an ecosystem. When you can get your brand, your other brand offerings echoing each one, because most of the people listening don't have a $2 billion marketing budget like Coca-Cola, you're almost reinforcing each element of your brand by considering the ecosystem within which it works. Right. And so that doesn't necessarily need to replicate parts of your company's name. Like Apple is not in. Oh, actually. Okay. So here's a good example for them. Like Macintosh was one of their spinoffs because that's a species of Apple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and Steve, oh my gosh, he was a brilliant marketer, right? He just had this deep sense of what would get noticed. And that's what, if you, there's a, one of the techniques in my book is called rent ahead and rent ahead is when you choose the mindset of somebody you admire and do an exercise, a thinking routine using that person. So if you're Steve jobs, you can use rent ahead. I'm going to pretend I'm Steve jobs. What would I name this product? I've got a friend down the street, a beautiful woman who has uh, just named a app for young people. She comes from banking. Well, it's pineapple. She named it pineapple. So she rented a head, right? What would Steve Jobs call this? So these techniques are really helpful. You're not alone in your naming. I, I wrote this book, Word Glue, because I care about people like you, Stuart, living on the East Coast of Canada. I care about your listeners so that they can name something that will get noticed above the noise. You've worked too hard to be invisible. So I, um, <laughs> what I noticed, I've read all the naming books, is they, they've got great principles, but they don't share all the methods. And I thought, okay, one day I'm going to be dead. <laughs> Hopefully not for a long time, but I'm going to put all the methods in here. And it's not a hard book. It's an easy, it's what I call a tip, flip, and dip book. I can explain that if you want. But I know that, a na- that naming can be a block. 
and it can stop people from going live. And so I thought, mm. how can I help people who are in the startup phase and they can't afford somebody to assist them? How can they do it on their own and have the best chance for success? And I, I've seen you talk about your book before. It's got room for writing in it. It's meant to be used. It's not a uh, sit on the bookshelf. It's a, as you said, a tip and flip. Einstein says it's easy to make something complex, but it's much more complicated to make it simple. And I made it as simple as I could. The book is designed to be happy for the brain so that you can, you can learn the principles, just seven easy principles. You do the Q12, so you answer these strategic questions, and then you flip through the book to find a tip that you like. So it might be the one to many, or it might be the design your name. And then I've set it up so it tells a story of a name like Uber or Google, and it gives you the steps, the three to five steps you can take to start generating those kind of names. So it's a name storming primer because it really is a volume game. The more that you can mm. generate, the more likely you are to find the one that's like, oh my gosh, that's it. We found it. I love what you mentioned there too about it is really a barrier that keeps people from going live and launching things. That can be in someone's head for years and they'll never take the action. But once you give something a name, then it's a real thing and then you have to go do it. Yeah, there's a Chinese proverb. The beginning of wisdom is to call things by their right name. When did you first figure out that the naming was one of your superpowers? Is there a specific event or time in your life where this became a really significant part? Well, it was when I named that um, Pedorthus company from TDG Group to Soul Science. And then he sent me this email saying, uh, my revenue has increased by 130%. I thought to myself, he was my first naming client. He didn't know that. He was my first naming client. I actually knew I could do it because I love words that come from a nerdy, wordy family. Um, and I realized I should have charged him more. Um, but even, even though I did that, I was doing other things. I had a sort of a brand practice. I was doing other things. And it wasn't until probably the third person that I doubled their income that I went, okay, uh, it's time to specialize. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it comes to consulting, being, this, being a specialist in things really helps. Well, Seth Godin hung around with Zig Ziglar, right? That was a very important relationship for Seth. And Ziglar said, you can be a wandering generality or a meaningful specific. Sometimes you have to just let the market tell you, right? The market was telling me because of the results people were getting that I needed to go that direction. And I didn't pay attention for the first little bit. As is often the case. Yeah, because I was like, do to do Oh, you want some branding? Yeah, no problem. do to do Want to name it? Like, oh gosh, Stuart. Like, well, yeah. Louise, it seems like you've, you've come into full stride. And with your book, winning, winning medals left, right, and center, I think the market agrees. So congratulations yeah. on getting that out. Um, if you want to learn more about Louise's work, uh, she's, she's on LinkedIn. You should definitely reach out to her and say hi. But the place to look up her book would be wordglue.co.co wordglue.co. Thanks so much. Is, uh, Louise, L-O-U-I-S-E, but the last name is K-A-R-C-H, K-A-R-C-H, like the month of March, but with a K. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking the time, Louise. Thanks for you for doing uh, this kind of podcast that will help people get their attention. Well done. Cheers. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, then you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. 
If you go online to topofmind.substack.com and put in your email, you can get access to exclusive behind-the-scenes content inspired by this show. So there's going to be candid audio recordings that aren't going to be available anywhere else, not on Spotify, not on Apple, nowhere else except on topofmind.substack.com. But that's not it. It's also a platform where I can share written content, videos, links, and anything else that I come across directly with you. You're going to get access to it right away. You're going to get access to the whole library of archived posts. And you're also going to be the first to be notified when a new episode of Top of Mind comes out. So head on over to topofmind.substack.com. See you there. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.